0: By the way, did we start recording already? Yeah. Are we, this is That's a podcast? That's why the monitors Oh, cool. We're podcasting already. Yeah. Podcasting. You complain
1: about it, but you don't look at
0: it. I don't look at it. <laughs>
1: it's right there. It lets you know when your voice is being recorded.
0: Okay, fine.
1: So I didn't
0: even like adjust. I'm just going to have to hope that this microphone adjustment is okay. I didn't adjust or anything. It
1: sounds fine to me. Okay, good. And
0: that's who counts for me. (laughs) Not any of our listeners, but that you're fine with it.
1: Well, I make you sound good for everybody else. Exactly. Yeah, I sound
0: like, you guys don't realize is that I actually sound like garbage. (laughs) <laughs> I
1: she's a Muppet did anybody know, like, you did you guys, guys have know that you guys no
0: idea yeah so and when I go out in public Kurt has given me a device that changes my voice as I'm speaking mm-hmm. just like on Arrow. yep just like that. That's where you got the inspiration. Yep. Uh, But on the note of garbage yesterday, one of the Appleton East moms, I think just without actually knowing me, hates me because in getting my kids to clean up their table, I was like, everyone pick up your garbage except for yourself. That's the only garbage I allow on the bus. And she was just like, did she really say that? Did she really? And then, but my kids are like, "Thanks, mom." But like, I was—how
1: could any human being think that that was a genuine instruction to teenagers?
0: I mean, I said it a few times, but that's just because I—I hate—I hate leaving the cafeteria and seeing so many tables where the kids just leave all their trash everywhere because their coaches don't like go check on it, and then they're then those tournament like host kids, and those of you who host tournaments, know like then your kids who just competed all day. At a tournament like Appletonese, a triple-entry tournament, some of them performed 12 rounds that day on top of having help with host preparations, and now they're cleaning up a bunch of friggin' Pringles cans and soda wrappers and school maps, and that's just, just be respectful, guys. Just be respectful.
1: Well, on that note, welcome to the podcast.
0: Yeah, we'll see how much of that gets edited out.
1: (laughs) We are here for the third episode of... The season where we have actual tournaments to talk about, um, which is kind of exciting. There's yeah. a couple other reasons for us to celebrate. Yeah. One, uh, which you may or may not have heard if I leave it into the podcast. <laughs> you won't. You'll get uh, yeah, it no, out. I'm pretty sure all of that's gone. Um, it's that it's Melissa and my three year anniversary.
0: Our podcast anniversary.
1: So Welcome. To our three-year anniversary, cycle
0: three, boys what? in the house. <laughs> oh no! I like that joke too much to not make it again. It's
1: in there. Great. We'll keep it. It's also, in. there's there's keep even there's
0: even a cupcake on the table in celebration. It's true. The, no, I listen. did. I, I, the cupcakes are technically for the RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars three viewing that we're having our later. Third
1: reason to celebrate. Yes,
0: yes, yes, and it's the third reason because it's it's the third season of All Stars. Yeah, oh like, my gosh, I'm
1: oh so my proud God. of you. So many threes. <laughs> um, we're doing it.
0: We're doing great.
1: So if there's a really nice energy to today's podcast, which is in strong contrast (laughs) to to last last week's week's podcast. Oh,
0: goodness.
1: (laughs) Um, It is because we are so stoked to be going and watching RuPaul's Drag Race after this.
0: Like, I love recording this podcast, you guys. It's one of the things I look forward to every week, but it is literally the only thing that is standing between me and Drag Race, and I have been mostly off of social media since Thursday night when it aired. I physically made my roommates do a jigsaw puzzle with me so we wouldn't turn on the television. Oh, and we finished that jigsaw puzzle today, by the way. Oh, congratulations! Thank
1: you. Yeah, um, I have a much easier time avoiding social media than you, yeah. but I have been avoiding it. Good, because
0: I'm just so excited. Oh. No spoilers, and 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 a big shout out to our lovely Antonio Trinidad, who made sure that even though he watched it on Thursday, he did not spoil it us. Well, anything for us at all. Part of that is that he's at his first collegiate forensics competition this weekend, so he's I been very you know. busy. I hope
1: it went well. Me too. I
0: can't wait to hear about it tomorrow. I hated um,
1: that picture of you and Mackenzie because it made me sad. It
0: made me very sad, but also it made me warm. But yeah, um, yeah it, we're just we're just getting through to do that. So if we, I'm very excited for what we're talking about this episode, but also like on the other side of this episode is. Drag queens. Yes. And friendship and nachos.
1: And that's really all there is to talk about. Nothing else happened in life this week. No. No. So let us get right down to business with Melissa's Olympic Minute.
0: I feel like I should write like a a horrible theme song, but I don't want to sing. So... I'm just going to just going to dance to As you said, that the Olympic minute. The theme
1: song to uh, I Dream of Jeannie came in my head. Oh, well, what that's do you think good. that means?
0: Um, I think that means that you think I would look great in that hairstyle, which I think that I would. I wear I a do. high bun relatively regularly, but the sort of like veil thing, I don't know if I have the face shape for it. But anyway, so we're going to the minute. Ready? I'm ready when you are. So this week's uh, Olympic minute is about the um beautiful Flag bearer from the Summer Olympics for the country of Tongo. You may have seen pictures of him. He was shirtless in traditional garb, oiled up. Very, very attractive. Uh, his name is Peter. I'm going to play the last name off of this computer and hope that you can hear it so I don't have to say it. Tofu tofua we're going to pretend that I didn't sound horrible saying that, uh, he decided in the late 2016, he's like, you know what? I had fun at the Olympics. I'm going to qualify again. So he spent two years uh, learning to be a cross-country skier, practicing in his home country on roller skis, and then just did one run on snow and then qualified. Because why not? Because when you think the country of Tongo, a very tropical, lovely place, you also think cross-country skiers. So that's just a very exciting story for someone just to like decide they're going to do something and then go do it. And that's Melissa's Olympic Minute.
1: All right. Coming in under time once again. Yes.
0: Was I within the grace period?
1: Um, What's the grace period?
0: 15 seconds.
1: Oh, yes, you were. Well, Come on. In radio, it's different.
0: <gasps> it's true. In radio, it's five. Yeah. So was I within the, was I within the radio grace period? No.
1: Oh. That was the question I was asking, like... Which grace period are we talking about? Like the one that's leading up to the time limit or the one after the time limit? I
0: think because, yeah, I think it's radio and I think I was outside the grace period. Yeah. So I can't get the one. You can't
1: get the one. That's
0: okay. We all know that I'm second best to you.
1: You know, that's an uncomfortable thing to respond to. So I'm just not going to.
0: Let's move on <laughs> down. On. Where were we yesterday?
1: We were at Appleton East High School.
0: Yay. Yay for
1: the whatever annual Appleton East too many to count tournament. Yeah. Um, It's like our tournaments. I've lost track of how many we've done. Mm. I have no idea what anniversary it is when we do our tournaments. No, Um, I've been going to Appleton East every year since I was 13 years old. So there I was yet again. um, And I had just such a lovely time. I really, really
0: It was such a, a great day.
1: Yeah. Oh, wait. We were going to pretend it was awful. Oh, yeah. Fun, I mean. Make fun of Paul okay, Miller.
0: Okay. Go back. Ugh. Go back.
1: Well, that so, took a turn for the worst. That
0: took a turn for the worst. Ugh. It they was, have this
1: new coach.
0: Yeah. Mr. Paul Miller, Mr. Stand-Up Comedy, Mr. Nice Guy in a Purple Shirt, thinking he's all great, being welcoming and lovely at the judges ceremony, mm-hmm. getting people engaged and laughing at 8 a.m. Gross. Gross.
1: The worst. The worst. The worst.
0: And then he like thinks he's cool asking both of us to work for his tab room.
1: Ugh. Proceeding to have an efficient and organized day. How dare. Asking questions when he didn't know what to do. Taking the advice of the people around him.
0: Appropriately delegating when need be.
1: Being available for when questions needed to be handled by the tournament director. And
0: yet still being involved in the needs of his students and team.
1: Making sure we were in an award ceremony by 2.30 in the afternoon. Ew. What? Ew. What happened? Ew. It was a real... So, yeah, we were... Somebody was riding the struggle bus yesterday. Yeah, and uh, and, ha- you
0: know and as people who have had horrible bus experiences at Appletonese <laughs> multiple most, years, yeah, we really know different.
1: what the struggle bus is like. Right. In all seriousness, though, it was a really switching great gears, It was a really great day. It was a wonderful tournament. Um, I have to take my hat off to Paul Miller, uh, who really did do all of those things we just yeah. said, but like but in a positive in a, in way, a positive way. Uh, you know it when you're running your first tournament and you have to try to live up to uh, the reputation of a tournament that's been run for a long time. um, I know that pressure. You know that pressure because we inherited teams that run tournaments. The best thing you can do is exactly what he did, which was he obviously did a lot of research before the day. And Mm -hmm. once the day came, he was cool and calm and collected and was willing to listen um, when somebody would be like, hey, do you want to Maybe you should work on this. And he was open and, and saying, like, you know, if you have any advice, tell me, um, you know, how would you do this? What do you think? Um, and then when the time came to make a decision, he did it. Yep. And the day moved forward and we mm-hmm. were able to to get stuff done really, really quickly and efficiently. And um, my kids had a great time at the tournament. They really enjoyed it. Um, the judges lounge food was uh, from Antonios, Antonia, Victorias. Victorias. Thank you. And
0: One of those I, names. Yeah.
1: Um, catered in from Victorias in Appleton. Uh, so that was a nice surprise because mm-hmm. most of us don't have our uh, judges lounge, lounge lounges catered. No. Nope. Um, but for me, like the highlight of the tournament really was this speech that Paul gave uh, prior to the award ceremony that I so, so wish I had known was coming. I know. So I could have pulled out my phone and recorded it and we could play it for you now. Um, because the gist was uh really in speaking to the students who were there, uh, to remind them to say thank you to their coaches who put in so mm-hmm. much time and energy. Um, and he talked about how, you know, he was a student once and his coach ran this tournament for so many years, and now he was invited in to coach this team and take over that legacy and that someday we're going to be looking to the students who are in that auditorium, which was a message that Deb Tross would always make as well. Um, So he really like picked up that torch and ran with it in a way that I think Mike and Deb would have been really, really proud of.
0: Yeah. I have goosebumps just hearing about it again. I I was getting emotional and I was getting so mad because getting emotional about things that Paul Miller says is not a normal feeling for me. It's
1: it's new. Like it's very new. And this is the thing that I, I, I both, I love about forensics is that I'm always finding out that there are more people in it that I just adore. Mm -hmm. Like I'm always finding out more, like every time I really have a chance to talk to somebody or or hang out with somebody for the first time, I'm always just like, oh, forensics is just like, it attracts the best people. Um, but on the flip side, I'm also so mad at myself. Cause like Paul Miller has been around for as long as I have yeah. in doing this activity. And why have I never really gotten to know Paul Miller before? And I'm, I'm mad at myself for that. I yeah. Mean, I, I joked with him yesterday. To, I have that, nobody to blame but myself.
0: Yeah. I joked yesterday that he was so enigmatic to me before like last year, pretty much. And so this year I'm just, Learning all the things about him. One of the things we did yesterday, during a small amount of downtime we had in the tab room, was we made Paul Miller take the Harry Potter sorting quiz, so I would know what Hogwarts house he was in, so I would know how to interact with him as a person, because it's very important for me to know your Hogwarts house. And we were very wrong about our assumption.
1: It's true. You can't assume what people. You are should never end, assume someone's
0: Hogwarts house. Yeah. But we we did, and it was, and he did a great job, and the speech was so nice, and his award ceremony was so. Uh, it was just like, I don't want to say lighthearted cause it makes it sound like we didn't take it seriously, but just the energy of the word. Somebody kept going through the entirety of the thing. Like yep. people weren't tired or worn out by the time we got to storytelling and the team awards, everyone was still very high energy and enjoying it. And so respectful of each other. And it was really fun. He did have some tech issues. Yeah.
1: You know, and he, to his credit, he came up to me after the opening judges meeting and was like, how was my microphone? because he listened to last week's podcast and tested the microphone in the morning and it was great in the morning and something was going on in the afternoon. I didn't know what it is. Like it yeah. wasn't something obvious that it was like, Oh, this no. is such an easy fix. Some mic cord was being messed with or if yeah. it was wireless, there was some interference um, cause it kept cutting out. But um, that was not his fault because he actually did use it in the morning, mm-hmm. tested it, sounded good weirdness ensued but the nice thing about that space is it is acoustically sound so even when it would cut out i had no problem yeah hearing him and i i was sitting way in the back Mm
0: -hmm. so so overall great job paul yes we're proud of you
1: really really truly great great tournament look forward to coming back next year yep we're still doing app east yep Yeah. Um, The other thing I wanted to just mention about App East that I thought was really cool. And again, something that I think Mike and Deb would be so proud of was how many alums from Appleton East showed up to help with that tournament. And some of these are familiar faces because they've been showing up to help with Mike and Deb for years. Mm -hmm. Um, But like there were there were just so many people who who were still showing up to help the program that they came out of. And it's nice to know that as revered and loved as Mike and Deb are that those, what they've done is they've instilled a love of the activity Mm -hmm. into their students. yeah. And so the students are coming back. It wasn't a devotion just to Mike and Deb. It was a devotion to the students and to the work and to the activity. And that I thought was such a beautiful tribute to the two of them. Even after they've gone, all of their kids are still coming to help that tournament Mm -hmm. and to make sure it runs. And I had such a lovely time catching up with a competitor from when I was in high school yeah and you said you had a great time chatting with them at the at the table. Yeah.
0: Warren was a delight
1: yeah so it was all around it was just a it really, was just so it was such nice a great day like it's the type of tournament I hope I'm always running one that just yeah. feels nice easy not perfect not without uh, issues that need to be dealt with as the day goes on mm-hmm. but mostly at ease mm-hmm. we were all at ease and we were having a good time. Um. So, yeah, there's no good transition to the topic that we're going to be talking about today because it's going to get somebody's blood boiling. And I know <laughs> the, the posture that Melissa just inherited. Oh, dear. All right. Why don't you introduce the topic while I cough off mic?
0: Great. So um, Mariah Irvin, ladies and gentlemen, Mariah Irvin. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, Mariah Irvin.
0: Uh, messaged us on Facebook this week on the Forensic Spaces page, which all of you are encouraged to do if you ever have a situation like this. About how a national coach friend of hers had posted on his Facebook page about how the uh, states of Pennsylvania and Virginia had were now deciding to ban splicing poetry or creating poetry programs because it violates authors' intent. And she, neither of us are friends with this coach. But she screenshotted all the conversations that dozens of coaches from around the country were having in the comments section about it and the various different opinions on it. And so we just want to talk today about the idea of what is author's intent and how do we respect it? Should we respect it? How much does it actually affect performance? All of that good stuff.
1: So before we get too deep into authors' intent, should we explain to those who might not know what is meant by splicing poetry?
0: Yeah. So splicing poetry is the idea of taking apart a, in this case, and you can do it in all various genres of interp, but taking apart the poem to change it up to be interesting to perform and present. So you might be um, putting like the climax in the Beginning of the poem as part of the teaser, and then repeating it again later so that the audience has more impact there, um, changing things around within it in order to just make it more interesting to present, also more interesting in a timeline sense. Uh, you might be splicing multiple poems from different authors together to surround a theme in the way that we do with the Farago program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the poetry is not just one poem by one author, but multiple poems right. by multiple authors. Or
1: poi on the national level, if you're not a yeah, Wisconsin yeah. listener. Yeah,
0: poi if you're, if you're from other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, other people will call it splicing. We call it programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that other, con- other states have even different words for it. But um, for the sake of us talking about this today... We'll be using splicing or program right. interchangeably.
1: And part of what's so interesting about this is it really is, in my mind, it's bucking a national trend.
0: Yes, it 100 percent is. I mean, is. in
1: Wisconsin, we've just started doing this in the last few years mm-hmm. because on the national circuit, we noticed that there were people who were splicing their poems together in really unique and interesting ways. Um And that, you know, our Farago, the national version of Poi, had gained enough attention and notoriety that now it was becoming a national category. And when we looked at what that was on the national level, it is a program of poetry that is not linear. Yes. Like you can take a couple stanzas from here and a couple stanzas from over there and you put them together and then you go back to the stanza from the first poem and then you go to your third poem and then you grab from your fourth poem and back to the second poem um, and you... It's reorganizing the information in a way that, uh, as you said, kind of adds interest or uh, to me, it's always about like telling a story, like even when I'm creating a poetry program and yeah, if you're doing two or three poems, what ends up happening in the traditional model is you kind of go up and then down and then up and then down and then up and then down as the poem, you know, has rising and falling action. Whereas what you can do now in Farago or Poi that's really interesting is you can Splice all these things together and you can create a climax to your piece that happens simultaneously because you've moved in 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 part from every poem. Um, And that's what that's what I like seeing when I see it on the national level. And again, we've talked about this on the program on the pod before. I've also seen it done very poorly.
0: I have seen it done super poorly, but <laughs> it's, I also—it's
1: just a bunch of gibberish when the, by the time you've cut it all up.
0: And it's, it was one of the things we talked about last week when we were talking about stepping outside of the box. Is that one of the reasons that people butt up against changes like this is because they will see it done really poorly and think that in order for them to not have to see it done poorly ever again, we should just get rid of it rather than the idea of thinking outside of the grander scheme of that one poorly done program and thinking about how incredible and amazing it can be for people to do it who also happen to do well. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: so, but as you mentioned, um, one of the reasons, and I think the primary reason why this has been banned in Virginia and Pennsylvania is that the belief in their systems is that, uh, splicing together these poems changes the author's intent and that as an educational activity, we should make sure that we are preserving the author's intent. Um, author's intent is something that in Wisconsin we have referenced uh, more in our acting conversations. When we talk about, you know, reassigning a line from one person to another or changing the gender of a character so that it can match the actor. You know, we've talked about that in duo and play acting and, um, even uh, to a certain degree in our solo acting activities, those are the types types of conversations where author's intent have, have come up in Wisconsin. But we don't really, or we haven't really had a conversation about what author's intent is. So I was doing some research earlier today, and um, it's a pretty uh, nebulous term uh, concept author's intent. And, uh, I will say that when I looked it up, I just typed in author's intent into the Google. The first page that popped up was the, uh, transformers wiki, (laughs) meaning the Hasbro toys and cartoon TV show and Michael Bay franchise transformers
0: more than meets the
1: eye. Yeah. Like that. It was the first page that popped up when I Googled author's intent. Um, so that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and really led me to kind of like turn my head to the side and be like, well, maybe uh-huh. this is not something that's terribly well-defined. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went to a few different sites and, and tried to kind of make up my own definition of what it is. And I, what I got from those few places, uh, was this definition. It's the implicit or explicit message the author meant to deliver when creating his, her, or their work. You're just nodding at me now. I am just nodding. Okay. Agreed?
0: I Well, okay. I, I agree with that being a definition, but here is where I begin to butt up against the idea of author's intent being a critiquable aspect of performance. I live by the... Uh, author John Green philosophy that books belong to their readers and that how we interpret them is our, once an author puts a book out into the world, that book now is interpreted in hundreds of thousands of ways by millions of people hopefully if it does well or sometimes it does and that's fine but it's interpreted by all the people who are reading them so they're taking different things from it than the author might have seen. They're finding symbols in it that the author may not have necessarily intended but someone else finds to be there and so in the world of forensics I find that the idea of author's intent being critiquable being really frustrating and I understand the idea of not wanting people to abuse the piece for like performance success. But it's one of those things where I feel like when we are grasping at the straws for reasons to dislike something and grasping at straws for reasons to provide critique, when we say something like author's intent, all we're doing is grasping.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a good time to just interject, too, because I want to be really respectful in our conversation to the people of Virginia and Pennsylvania who mm-hmm. made this a rule and have obviously identified something within their system that they see as an issue or are, are trying to address that problem. Um, I forget which state it was. It doesn't really matter. But in one of those two states, uh, the anecdote was shared, I believe, because um, it was part of that string of. Uh, comments that Mariah shared with us. I believe it was from one of those two states that there was a finalist in their poetry state finals who was disqualified because they changed the author's intent of their piece. And the reason they found were found out is that the author of the piece was judging them for that final round.
0: Please let that sink in. How... Fuck wild that is, y'all!
1: Like, can you imagine being that student?
0: I I cannot because I w- like as I told Kurt, I would if I were that student who walked out of that round, like feeling pretty all right about myself and thinking I'm real cool, and then I find out that my judge wrote the pieces that I performed and. Hope, I mean you have to hope that that student recognized them, was like, oh my gosh, the person who wrote my piece is sitting in the round. But if for some reason they didn't, because a lot of times you don't know what people look like when you read their work or listen right. to their stuff, I would be mortified.
1: Yeah. Mortified. I would be so scared. And can you imagine being that kid's coach? Like I I that there's a lot of people in Pennsylvania and or Virginia I'd love to have a conversation with about this, but the one in particular is the coach of that kid who got disqualified because how do you have that conversation and to what degree do you advocate for your own kid in that situation to say kind of exactly what you just said, which is you publish something, you put it out in the world. My kid took it, interpreted it in a different way. And now they're being disqualified because they interpreted it differently than the author who wrote it, which I just find to be a pretty insane situation. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm. I want to be super respectful, and would love it if a listener from Virginia or Pennsylvania wants mm-hmm. to come on a future pod and talk to us about this, uh, because I'm in pretty much the exact same place you are, which is I don't think author's intent should be considered when it comes time to evaluate a forensics piece. And I think being in a forensics competition is an important component to this conversation because it is educational. It is experimental in many ways. Um, The very nature of the activity means that we must cut things more often than not. We are cutting plays and proses and poetries all the time. We must alter the form in which it was originally written in order to make it fit into a 10 or eight minute presentation, I just I don't see author's intent as something that we should get hung up on when it comes time to creating our rules. Though I do think I do think it is appropriate for author's intent to be part of the conversation that a coach and a student have as they are cutting and creating a piece.
0: Yes. But I the idea of it coming into the round and being on the critique sheet is really dumb to me. Because if you if you start with the idea of like, oh, when you're splicing together the poetry, that's not how the author intended it to be heard. Well, then what are we doing in a solo series performance where a student is not using all of the props that are listed in the stage directions or where they don't have the lighting cues that are listed in the stage directions of the author's intent? Are we violating author's intent then? Like, yes, that's nitpicky. And obviously it's ridiculous. But that's that's where my brain goes. Like if we're going to be... If, if author's intend is going to be something that is critiquable, then it needs to be critiquable across the entire spectrum of things and not just for one
1: small area. When I guess really my question again to, to Virginia and Pennsylvania who are, um, and, and, you know, again, maybe we're totally wrong and this string of comments and conversation is, is different. Um, but like it, we're eliminating splicing from those, those States, um, how will you enforce the notion of not changing a piece or how does not splicing address the issue of author's intent because you could still interpret the piece very differently mm-hmm. even if you're not mixing them together and you know we ha- we've had the conversation on the podcast a few times too about wanting to make a rule that addresses people copying other people's performance. And we always get to the inevitable end of that conversation, which is how do you enforce that when you don't like most judges aren't going to know whether that's a copied performance because they haven't seen someone else do it. How are you going to know what the author's intent is unless you're the author? Yep. How many, how many situations are we going to find ourselves in? where the author will get to say like, Oh, that was a total departure from what I wrote. And I would, I would re- respectfully submit to the conversation um, that, uh, and I, I feel like I pulled this card, but like as an audiobook book narrator, <laughs> um, like I've had conversations with several authors who are more than okay with creative license being taken with their work. In fact, it's expected it's an it's an industry standard among audiobook narrators that if you have an author who's trying to dictate to you how the piece should be read, like what every character should sound like and how every line should be performed, you are supposed to very nicely walk away (laughs) because because that's unreasonable. It's unreasonable for an author to um, hold the interpreter of their work up to what they have in their own head the authors that are good uh, to work with and what authors are coached to do when they work with actual publishers is to let go of the material, say, you know, find a voice you really like, find somebody who's done work you really enjoy and then let them interpret your work in the way that it has been successful for them when it comes time to do an audiobook.
0: This just makes me think of the national... Uh H.I. final round that David Sedaris came to judge and how once the round was finished, they let him come to the microphone. And uh, one of the reasons they invited him was because he wrote a book with the intention of it being performed by high school students and that he got to the microphone and he said, I almost feel bad because this is nothing about how I would imagine it to be. And what you kids are doing is better than anything I could have fathomed. Mm-hmm. And so one of the comments in this in this post string was someone commenting that if half, the, half of the authors heard what people were doing with their work, they would be in a total uproar. And I beg to differ. I genuinely believe that if the authors were seeing the creativity and the commitment and the excitement that these students were putting into these programs, they would be excited by it too
1: some and, would i i i mean i i, I don't think david Sedaris was as jazzed as you're making him out to be i it was not what he expected i don't think he loved it okay <laughs> well my interpretation of his comments was different
0: okay well and that's another way that people interpret things differently yeah but did just you say
1: interpretate
0: interpret things
1: I don't know. We'll find out. It was recorded.
0: Okay. Maybe I did say things. I'm whatever. If I did, I don't care. Uh, But for me, it's the idea that this just feels like another way that we're like not letting kids be creative because we don't want things to be harder for judges and harder for coaches. Like I can, someone who is not us and someone who like, Ben and I started splicing poetry together, I want to say six years ago, after we both saw different poetry programs at NCFL Nationals in oil that were incredible. I still think about the one that I saw of a student doing it, who was also doing really casual binder tech. And I was, I walked out that around and I was legitimately so jazzed and I thought it was so cool. And so I've been doing it for too long to like talk about this from a biased place. And I'll be the first to admit that. So... If you are someone who believes that we should stop splicing and stop making programs in poetry, like you can't avoid it in Farago. You can't. and, And poi, you just can't. But if you're someone who believes that we should stop splicing in poetry, like message me and let me know what you think. Because I want, I need to know because I don't think that I understand this argument at all. As someone who, as someone who is an office manager and doesn't interact mm -hmm. with authors on a daily basis, like Mr. Grimes, I. Not daily. I didn't say daily. (laughs) I'm not writing on our basis. I get really frustrated by the idea of authors, like people thinking that authors would be upset by their work being used by high school students to bring forth a message or a theme that they care about.
1: And again, I like in, in my experience, that's typically the reaction of a new author. Um, or somebody who is like self-published. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, far and wide, those who uh, work through publishers are coached to think differently. Uh, they have the John Green model, which is that you create something, you put it out in the world, and now it belongs to the people that are interacting with it out in the world. Like that that's that's the message that authors in publishing houses are, are given. Um, and that most of them very quickly become comfortable with. So, yeah, I I think we should be allowing our students uh, to interpret things in whatever way they wish. Um, And I guess the really and I'm I'm sure that most people in Virginia and Pennsylvania um, and all over the country agree with that sentiment. It's just the degree to which we are chopping up the work, I think, is probably where we would find uh, some different opinions, clearly in Pennsylvania and Virginia, uh, that to to take someone's work and splice it with somebody else's is just a step too far for them.
0: Well, if you are someone from that, from that state, from either of those states, or you are someone who we know who wants to tell us about it, please do. Because my voice may sound weird and angry, but I'm genuinely interested about what other people think. I, I've been told a lot lately that I'm very scary to argue with, and I don't want to argue. I want to have discourse. So please engage us in this discourse yeah. about author's intent because I am genuinely interested. And also, again, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Irvin, thank ladies you, and gentlemen, Ryan Irvin. Thank you so much for letting us know yeah. about this and sharing this with us. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, kind of piggy tailing, piggy-tailing?
0: piggytailing, piggytailing,
1: dovetailing off of that. Wow,
0: or piggybacking. I was
1: that's exactly what just happened. I was either piggybacking or dovetailing, and I. Put you them just together, get it
0: wrong and put them together.
1: You know what? I'm gonna embrace it. I'm gonna, I'm, cool. gonna,
0: I'm not, I'm gonna stay no, over I'm here. I'm embracing
1: it. We are piggytailing into uh something. Uh, we did get some feedback from our last episode on Facebook, uh, where we had said, you know, we don't want to legislate against uh too much creativity. Uh, I heard from a couple people, and Elliot Fisher posted on our Facebook page that they disagree, they think yeah. we should be legislating that sort of thing. I wonder if I should so pull that post up. So I think we can it's talk just, it. um, I just I wanted to to make sure I mentioned it that, you know, acknowledging it. Yeah. Like we have this platform. We get to say our thing. We put it out in the world. Um, I love that about this medium. Uh, but the danger in that can sometimes be that you just hear our take on things and we can guide the conversation by persuading, uh, with our opinions. And I just want to make sure to take a moment and say that somebody we all know and admire and respect Totally disagrees. Yep. Um, not uh, not with the problem, but with how we should handle the problem. And so I think it's important to note that we hear that, we see that. Um, I love Elliot Fisher to death and nothing will ever change that. So, and uh, but at a meeting I would disagree with him and vote in the other direction. Yep. But unless but I would also really well, I would say, but he would also probably write like the perfect proposal and I'd be like, Yeah, dang it. Elliot what if Fine. he also
0: bribed you with that cheesecake
1: oh God I would do terrible things for cheesecake
0: especially that one but yeah it was it was great to see his comment and read about it uh, on the post on my podcast and that's why we are always encouraging you all to do the same and participate in it with us because we love seeing those. And once you post them, Kurt and I then get in our little Google chats and type back and forth about it. And mm-hmm. then it leads to our own other discussions. And yeah, someone was asking me yesterday when I was sitting with Maureen at the intake table, she was asking about her podcast and she's like, so is it like you informing people? And I said, it's more the idea of informing people through our opinions. Yeah. And we just want to, this is one of those weeks where we just want to stress again that these are Kurt and Melissa opinions and not mandated facts. Right.
1: And we do not represent the collective opinion of the WFCA or of our, even of our individual schools. Yeah. We didn't consult with other people before we had this conversation. No,
0: we barely consult with each other before we have these conversations. We don't because so how boring would that conversation that would be, be so if, if you and I
1: were just like rehashing a conversation we'd already had earlier. Yeah,
0: we sometimes we have to purposely not talk about things so that our opinions are fresh and we can surprise each other. Exactly. Because even after three years of podcasting, Kurt and I still manage to surprise each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm surprised where I'm surprised to find out where we disagree on something. Yes. Sometimes
0: that's like when we judge week. Yeah. Year. Like
1: that pros mm-hmm. uh, All right. on. That
0: note, <laughs> so we didn't judge this week, so we don't have a best thing we saw this week, but let's just say our favorite memory from yesterday.
1: You well, Phil. I would say I, my favorite part was, uh, was Paul's speech at the award ceremony. I, I, Super duper appreciated it. And because it made me feel so warm and fuzzy, not about like the work that I've done, but about like the work that my colleagues have done. And Mm -hmm. I, I just, I love those people so much. And it like, it just, it feels so good to be a part of the forensics coaching community in Wisconsin and frankly in the nation. Yeah. And um, we're all, we're all doing this for next to nothing except the love of what we do. And I just thought he captured that so beautifully. And I really, really hope the students heard what he was saying. Mine, mine, like in the moment took a, took a second to say thank you when he said, thank your coaches. And, but they like touched my arm and I was like, you don't, touch, don't me. touch me. Yeah. I literally said, don't touch me. God, I'm such a mean person. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I think they, If they were listening and took that to heart, we were going to be okay in Wisconsin because we've got a lot of really great young people who are coming up in our system, who will be the next generation of coaches. Mm -hmm. And I, I love, I've loved it every year when Deb has said that, that someday you will need to pay that forward. You will need to be the coaches. Um, And I think again, Paul just, he grabbed that torch and he made it his own and it was a beautiful message and it was a great thing to hear. And I loved it. And Ron Steinhorst will still be here 20 years from now. (laughs) He will outlive us all.
0: He will. Um, My favorite moment also came from the award ceremony, but it didn't come from Paul. Uh, I've been trying to sit near different students of mine during the award ceremony as I'm starting to get to know more of my students. So I was sitting next to the three gentlemen who I have who are doing Group and Terp this year. And yesterday they took third place and they were just so excited. And they came and sat back down. And one of them turned to me and said, hey, Melissa, guess what? This is the first trophy I've ever won. And I was like, ever? And he was like, literally the very first one. And he was just so proud and then it made me very emotional and then I was like you know what your mom's gonna be really excited like kind of as a joke and then he very genuinely responded yeah I think she is and it just made me so happy to continue to be an activity that gets to give moments like that that like He, even if he doesn't have that trophy down the road, like he'll be able to be out somewhere with his friends in 20 years and tell the story of like his very first trophy ever. And it just felt, it was one, it was another one of those reminders. Like, oh, this is exactly why I do this. Like getting to like, I I grabbed him on the arm and I was like, I'm proud of you just because it's just nice to get to be part of those moments. So, Mm -hmm. and I didn't, I managed to tell the story for the first time and not cry. So
1: Go Good me. Job. Speaking of you, can I do my Melissa impression? <sighs> yeah. This is this is my impression of Melissa at the Appleton East uh, award Ceremony. Shush
0: you <laughs> To be fair, I do that <laughs> at every tournament after they say her name wrong. I did it at Port Washington. I did it at Oshkosh North. And I did it again this week. And I will continue to do it. And I will do it anytime anyone mispronounces my students' names because it is important to me to get names right. One of the things I admire most about my co-coach Ben Kroll is that before the awards ceremony, he will walk around and find any coach of a student who's in the award ceremony script, whose name he doesn't know how to pronounce, and write out the phonetic pronunciation so that he can say it properly And so,
1: you know, Ben Stewart, I know you're an (laughs) avid listener to the podcast. That's (laughs) not true. Although we need to get him on this
0: podcast. We do. We've we've reached
1: out to him. He's just always so very, very busy. Yeah. Um, So Ben Stewart, who runs SpeechWire, this would be a great feature to add to SpeechWire is the ability to record a name and add Mm. it as a sound file right next to their name. Because it is, it's tough. Like even, even some like German, Polish, Czech names that we have a lot of in Wisconsin are hard to pronounce. Or um, even just
0: the ability for someone to, after writing a student's name, for, like, there to be, like, a f- just a box that says phonetic?
1: Yeah, we already have that option. Just a lot of coaches don't take advantage of it. Okay,
0: well, more coaches take advantage of it. Jeez.
1: Plus, it's but hard. Like, I don't know how to write names out phonetically.
0: You just, you just, write, you just write a bunch of sounds. If you. Um,
1: <laughs> Not correctly, anyways. I don't know how to write phonetically correctly.
0: But I, I will, I do appreciate the fact, because... Uh, Shishua did uh, triple power yesterday. That by the time we he got to her third one, and I had shouted the correct pronunciation of her name twice, he said her name correctly that time. Mm-hmm. And it and like it may seem like a joke, but it was still genuinely one of the first times not at a South or North tournament where she powered and her name was said correctly for her placement. And those moments mean a lot to students. So. I understand the coaches are frazzled and there's so much going on on tournament day, but taking the time to do something like, per, like correct pronunciation can still go a long way. Shashua. Shakua heart and you're to blame. Paul Miller can't say Shashua's name. I wrote that song yesterday I was just, Did her. you
1: just make that up? No, I
0: wrote it yesterday. That
1: was <laughs> remarkable. That is a great place. To end. Thanks. So goodbye, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. RuPaul's Bye. Drag race. Start your engines for drag race. May the best woman win.
0: Forensic Spaces is recorded and edited in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Our theme song was written and performed by J.J. Hammeister. If you're a fan of Forensic Spaces, give us a rating, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find more info, including a link to purchase all of your official Forens of the Pod merchandise at forensicspaces.com, and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Forensic Spaces. I'm Kurt and I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak.
1: Preferably in that order.